Visit our sponsor, The Most Gifted Psychics. Call 866-228-2883 and mention code word Haunting Live to receive 10 minutes for just $10. 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Canada is full of all kinds of wonderful lore. Yeah, and I've just scratched the surface of it. I'm already fascinated. My name is Travis Watson, and you will find my books under the, the author name W.T. Watson on Amazon. So I, I always like to make that clear to people at the get-go. Yeah, it's been uh, great to have you on the show. Can you, first of all, introduce yourself to the audience and let them know who you are and just a brief description about what you do? Uh, my interest in what I call the Fordian or high strangeness uh, goes all the way back to childhood. Um, my dad was actually a UFO witness. Um, he had an encounter back in the 50s in the deserts of Southern California when he was in the Air Force. Um, and he wasn't shy about telling the story either. Uh, he was one of those people who was like, what do you mean you don't believe in UFOs? I saw a UFO. <laughs> um, so that and, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the fortuitous entry of a, a Ripley's Believe It or Not comic book um, on ghosts um, during that same time period uh, got me started. And um, I've been a, a devotee of the Fortean ever since. Um, I had, when I was in sixth grade, I had already read um, Ivan Sanderson's book on the Abominable Snowman. Um, I've been, uh, you know, fascinated with the topic for my entire life, uh, you know, and, and my life is now 62 years long. So <laughs> I've, been, <laughs> I've had quite a bit of time to accumulate some knowledge. Um, I actually started off writing. Um, uh, my first published work was actually a novel, uh, which was based on uh, the black dog apparitions that are common in, in the UK, Canada, the US, and, and South America. Uh, and my publisher, I was talking to one day and said, gosh, you know an awful lot about this phantom black dog thing. You must have done a lot of research. And I was like, well, yeah. Um, and he said, do you think you could write a book about that? And uh, that's how Phantom Black Dogs, Walkers of the Liminal Way was born. Um, since that time, um, with Beyond the Fray, which is my publisher, I've also published a book called Mysteries in the Mist, which is about uh, mist, fogs, and fog and clouds and the paranormal, Canadian monsters and mysteries. When I moved up here, I started looking for, you know, the strangeness in, in my new territory and uh, quickly found out that Canada's got all sorts of interesting things, ranging from phantom ships to... Uh, you know, UFOs that we were talking about earlier. And my most recent work is uh, Sasquatch Canada Beyond BC, which is all about uh, the Sasquatch phenomena in, uh, in Canada in areas outside of British Columbia, um, because everybody thinks of British Columbia when they think of Sasquatch in Canada. So um, I'm I am a collector of stories and, uh, and love to, uh, to read and research and, and talk about these topics. So growing up then, you mentioned your father had some experiences. Did you have experiences yourself too in the family or what happened to your own self when you were growing up? Yeah, um, I did 
not have, uh, you know, like any direct UFO experiences or hauntings or any, any of that sort of thing as a kid. I'm, I'm one of those people who, uh, I guess you'd call a late bloomer. <laughs> um, as I got older, um, I, uh, uh, began to explore more alternative spirituality, um, and as a result of that, uh, have ended up having some really interesting experiences, uh, uh, ranging from uh, many, many moons ago. I, I was—I uh, guess you would say that most of my experiences are, are more in the area of synchronicity. Um, I was interested in Native American uh, lore at the time. And uh, I was wondering kind of idly, you know, well, you know, I'd been reading about power animals and totem animals and all this thing. I wonder what my, you know, power animal, totem animal or whatever is. And suddenly I was inundated with wolves. <laughs> it's like everywhere I went, uh, you know, I'd walk into a department store and there'd be a whole bank of televisions showing nature documentaries with wolves. I'd go to the dentist's office and there would be a magazine laying on the, uh, on the counter with a wolf on the cover. So I was like, okay, well, if this wolf thing is, is, is a thing for me, then, you know, I'd actually like to see a wolf. Now, at the time, I was living in Phoenix, Arizona, large urban area, right? A week later, I walked, I took a hike up um, Camelback Mountain, and um, I got to the top, and I laid down. I actually dozed off for a minute, and I woke up to something panting in my face, <laughs> <laughs> and lo and behold, I'm staring into the face of a wolf. Um, it, it actually was a wolf hybrid um, that was out for its walk with its person. But the, the owner was like, oh, wait, um, that, that animal never approaches other people. <laughs> it was basically sitting on me. Um, I, I have, as I said, you know, my spiritual spirituality ranges more toward the animistic. Um, so I would say that, you know, I'm, I'm, while I'm not a full fledged medium, I'm sensitive to the presence of, of other beings around me sometimes, depending on the, the area, there's a nice little, uh, Creek, uh, that, uh, runs over near where I live now. And, uh, when I'm out walking the dogs, for instance, I'm very cognizant of the fact that there are beings, in, in that area um, that um, would very much like for me to start picking up litter. So, <laughs> but the, you know, those are my sorts of experience. I haven't actually ever seen a Sasquatch for instance, although I rather suspect that we had them, you know, in the, the woods of Western New York where I used to live. I, I had time periods when I lived out there where I definitely had that creepy feeling that people describe of being watched or uh, you know, sounds in the forest. Uh, I had this strange thing where I would, um, you know, I would go through a period of, I had a big bay window in the home where we used to live. And I'd go through a period about every fall and every spring where I had to have the curtains drawn at night. Any other time I was fine. But during that particular time period, I had to have those curtains drawn. Um, uh, no, no explanation for that. So, yeah, I, I haven't had like the spectacular.
spectacular haunting, you know, type things that some people have or an encounter with Sasquatch or seeing a UFO or any of that kind of stuff. But my world is a world full of spirits. And, uh, you know, and it, it, that's just, that is my experience. Yeah, we all start somewhere in this field and I think your spirit guides and whatnot have your path set for you, right? So, like, if you haven't been in mediumship and you develop that over time, then that's the way you're meant to do that. So, your guides will guide you along on that as well. So, did some of your experiences growing up then cause you to start writing these down and have content for your book? Or how did the content for the book start? Actually, um, I'm I'm one of those people. At, um, okay, so let me back up into my, uh, into my childhood again. Um, you know, when I wasn't reading books about Sasquatch or whatever, I loved the books by uh, Frank Edwards, um, who wrote uh, Stranger Than Science, Strange World, a couple of other compendiums of the paranormal. Uh, you might compare him to somebody like Brad Steiger, okay, whose, you know, books I've also, some of his books I've also read, who is a collector of stories. That's me. I'm a collector of stories, whether it's, it's uh, you know, somebody telling me a story. Um, which I'm getting more of that starting to happen now as my name gets out there. Um, or, you know, I, I find stories in newspapers. I find stories in books. I find stories online. I find stories <laughs> wherever I can find them. And those are the things that really that make up my work. Um, I did a lot of, for Sasquatch Canada, I did a lot of research in the, uh, in the sighting databases um, <clears throat> as well well as, you know, there's obviously many, many books about the Sasquatch subject. I, you know, have found, and, and one of the reasons that I wanted to write Sasquatch Canada was um, I had found that there were a lot of people writing about Sasquatch and almost everybody was writing about Sasquatch in the United States. Um, and if they mentioned Canada, it was typically going to be in British Columbia. Um, you know, the only two sightings that I found that were, uh, you know, fairly common, commonly mentioned outside of uh, British Columbia were uh, a, a creature that they referred to as yellow top up in the Cobalt, Ontario area. Um, and then uh, there was a, uh, a, a sighting, I cannot remember the name of that dam now, uh, in uh, Alberta. That, that gets mentioned a lot. Um, but, you know, there are, uh, my research for this particular book, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I have well over 200 um, what they call class A sightings, visual sightings of, of a Sasquatch creature um, from Canada. And covering all the provinces of Canada, uh, the only place I didn't find a, a visual sighting was none of it. But every every other province in Canada has has some visual sightings of these creatures. So, yeah, they're not uh, they're not just all hanging out in British Columbia. They're all throughout the wilderness. Uh, whatever this thing is, it's all throughout the, the wilderness here in Canada. I know you're located here in Ontario. So are we here in Ontario? So how many of the bulk of the stories come from our neck of the woods here? So there's actually a whole chapter um, uh, in the book on, uh, well, okay. So there's uh, the way the book is broken down. Um, I have uh, Sasquatch, Sasquatch encounters from the various provinces. So there's a whole section of Ontario sightings. Um, 
and, and they're, they're very rich. I mean, there's a number of visual sightings of this creature in, in Ontario, particularly around Algonquin Park and then up into, up into um, northern, northern Ontario. But, you know, also into the urban areas. Uh, I have, a, a, there's also a section in the book on roadside encounters because they're so frequent that I gave them their own sec section. Um, there's a story from two truck drivers um, who were out on the QEW <laughs> driving through St. Catharines who claimed to have seen a Sasquatch down in one of the creek beds. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I spend a lot of time walking, uh, walking my dogs, uh, you know, in, in the area here. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of creek beds. There are a lot of waterways and stuff that, that interlace this area you know, Kitchener, Kitchener Waterloo area that we're, we're sitting in, um, that are, that are pathways, uh, for wildlife in the area. Um, so I mean, you know, and, and I've heard from others that, uh, that there are actually deer down in, in some of those, uh, creek beds. Um, we know that Sasquatch seem to have a proclivity for hunting deer. Um, so who's to say, you know, um, of course, it could have been a, you know, case of misidentification, but, you know, uh, one of the things that, that I always say when people say, well, how could you possibly believe that there's a, you know, a large unknown primate or some kind of creature or whatever Sasquatch is out, out in the woods? I say, if you took the evidence, the, the visual sightings of this creature, and you took them into a court of law, yeah, the evidence is so overwhelming that, you know, it, you would you would have to be you would prove the existence of this creature. The only reason that that people are unwilling to accept it now is that we have this hard shell scientific materialist viewpoint um, that says that unless you bring me a body, um, you know, I'm not going to believe it. And I don't know that that's ever going to happen because you've. Uh, yeah, I mean, while while we may have a flesh and blood unknown primate wandering around out in the woods in Canada, there's also some very strange events around these creatures that make you wonder if they're not something closer to what native people understand as being creatures that walk between the worlds that have a physical presence when they're here, and then can retreat back into their own world, um, their own spiritual world when uh, when they want to. Um, so there's a lot of, of mystery that surrounds the Sasquatch creature. And that's what, that's the thing that I really love about these topics is, you know, there are no easy answers. You know, you can't just go out and, and uh, you know, take a picture of a Sasquatch or whatever and say, okay, we're done. Um, there's always that, even if uh, someone were to bring one of these creatures in, you know, and it was scientifically proven to be an unknown primate and whatever, that still doesn't explain some of the stranger stories that we get. Um, there's a, a section in the book that's called Strange Things. Um, and in that, there are stories from witnesses who have seen these creatures just disappear. I mean, not fade into the forest, not camouflage themselves, just disappear right in front of them. You know, there's the question of tracks too. 
Um, primates are supposed to have five toes, but we have any number of Bigfoot tracks that are three-toed. Um, so how does that happen and why? It makes no sense from, from an evolutionary standpoint. So there's all kinds of, of strange things that surround, uh, surround the Sasquatch creature that are going to remain a mystery. Um, and I think we need to have a, a, a love of that mystery and be able to abide in that mystery um, to really enjoy and, and be a part of, of uh, you know, doing this, this, this work. I think you're right there, too, because this topic always seems to be at arm's reach, if you know what I mean. Like, you find something, but then it's not quite reachable yet. you got to go that extra distance to kind of figure something else out about it, and it always draws you further and further. Um, what's your personal belief on it? What's your personal side on what it is? On Sasquatch? Yes. Uh, if I had to, if, if, if you know, you're, you're going to put a pin in me and make me come to a, uh, you know, to a conclusion, you know, because, I mean, I talk about at the end of the book, there are any number of theories about what Sasquatch is, you know, other than a flesh and blood primate creature that's living in the woods. Um, but I, I think that we need to listen to the indigenous people um, who have, I mean, I did not discover an indigenous group here in Canada or in the United States that didn't have a name for these creatures. Um, and, you know, many of them, feel that uh, the Sasquatch is, is a, a being of, of two worlds. Um, when it's in the spiritual world, it's in the spiritual world. Um, but it has the capability of walking into our world and taking on a physical form. So, you know, I know that, that a lot of people will just <laughs> roll their eyes and walk away from that kind of a, a, a viewpoint. But from an animistic viewpoint, it makes a lot of sense to me. There are, there are beings, you know, in the spiritual realm um, that have that capability of being able to walk into our reality. Um, and they're able, you know, I mean, if, if you want to get into, you know, aspects of physical mediumship, you know, you can talk about being able to take on form from uh, ectoplasm, for instance. If you want to take a more magical viewpoint, there's a, there's an etheric realm that, uh, you know, actually you're able to gather a physical substance from as well. And so, you know, there are beings that are able to walk from one plane to the other and assume a physical form in this, this, uh, in this reality and then walk back. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, and a lot of people will say that, well, that's a matter of belief and you believe that and I don't believe that. And that's fine. You know, again, as I said, there are many, many different kinds of explanations, including, uh, you know, time anomalies. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's entirely possible that, uh, you know, these creatures could come through some kind of a time anomaly. And, you know, this could actually be the Gigantopithecus blackie that everybody thinks it is, but it's coming from the past and then it passes back into the past. That's as good an explanation as any, right? 
Um, Greg and Dana, Greg and Dana Newkirk from the from of heavier fame, uh, actually posited the idea that Bigfoot is a ghost of one of these creatures, right? Um, so I, I, there's all kinds of explanations you could have, but I like the walking between the worlds thing, um, you know, because it, it it seems elegant to me, you know, that it explains the physical presence and and uh, of these creatures and yet also explains why nobody can find one, <laughs> you know, and in fact, you know, where you have these situations where people are surrounded by these, you know, class B type phenomena, the wood knocks and all this stuff and rock throwing and everything, but nobody can ever seem to get one of these things on a thermal image or, or any of that kind of thing. You know, if the creature's not entirely of this world, then there you go. But again, you know, as I said, I'm a both and thinker, um, and I don't have a problem believing that there could be a, an unknown primate out there as well. So, yeah, no, I, I agree with you on a lot of that stuff. It's like those points are well taken, I think, because it does explain a lot of things that we find in the field. Like, you can't catch them on camera, a lot of game cameras don't capture them, even mm -hmm. we have thousands and thousands of game cameras out there footprints that just seem to end nowhere like you'll see a trackway mm -hmm. and it'll just stop in the middle of the field or something and there'll be no footprints from a certain point it's like where did they go so a lot of things are unexplained still and i think a lot more people are starting to become open to that idea well yeah and you know you don't have to you know throw your reason or rationale out the window you just have to be able to expand your mind enough to think that you know science scientific materialism doesn't explain everything yeah and um so there are a number of different ways that this creature could be explained and you know we just need to be open to the mystery <laughs> of, of looking at all these different explanations and uh yeah and that doesn't take anything away from uh, from the witnesses, because one of the things that I harp on in my books is the people who are seeing things are seeing things. They are having an experience, you know, and it, it is real to them. You know, and whether we're talking about an unknown primate, whether we're talking about a spiritual being, whether we're talking about something else, it's still real to them. It's very real to them and sometimes very frightening to them. Um, depending on their proximity to this creature. So, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people are like, well, if, a lot of people have the feeling that, you know, if they're not talking about an unknown primate or unknown hominid, that they're taking something away from witnesses. And, and I don't see that at all. Yeah, that's true. Let's jump to some of the content that you do have in your book now. Um, can you talk about a couple stories that you like that you have in your book? Oh, sure. <laughs> There's the, the problem when you write a book like this is that there are so many stories that you liked that you have trouble picking a couple out. Um, probably my favorite from, from, uh, from this book though. Um, you know, a lot of people, like to poo-poo um, Sasquatch witnesses as being, you know, maybe uneducated or, you know, just uneducated country folk or whatever. But 
one of the things that you find quickly when you start to read Sasquatch Canada is that the people that are seeing these critters are, you know, I've got stories from police officers. I've got stories from people who work in the forest service, uh, doing forestry work. We're out in the woods all the time. So all kinds of hunters, right. Um, who spend a lot of time in the woods, but one of my favorites, um, which actually happened up near Wainwright, Alberta, is a, a story of a gentleman who's in the uh, Canadian Forces. as actually a, a special operations person with uh, Canadian Armed Forces. Um, this was back in the 80s, um, and he uh, and his partner uh, had a, uh, they were on a training exercise, um, and they uh, were also electronics people. They, they did field repairs for, for equipment um, in the field. Um, and they're off in their camouflage pickup truck driving along. Um, they have their topographical map, and they're trying to find a piece of equipment that they're supposed to do repairs on. Um, and this was back before the days of GPS, of course. So, you know, you got to get your map out and kind of do your thing and do your orienteering and try to figure out where these things are, right? Um, they had stopped, and uh, his partner had the map spread out on the hood of the car or the hood of the truck and was looking and trying to figure out where, uh, where this piece of equipment was. They were having some difficulty finding it. He's standing there. He's kind of relaxed. He's looking off at a... At a uh, utility, I think it was a utility line break, um, you know, just to clear space out there. Um, or maybe it was a fire break. It's probably a fire break. It was out in the woods. So um, he's looking in and he sees a deer out there. He's like, oh, yeah. And so, uh, in addition to being a special operations person, he's also a hunter. So he's like, oh, look, deer. <laughs> yeah. um, he's watching this deer. And as he's watching, Sasquatch breaks cover on all fours in a flat charge, comes to two feet, grabs this deer, snaps its neck, throws it across its shoulder and disappears back into the woods. And it happens so quickly that the guy doesn't even have time to look at his, to, to poke his partner and say, hey, look at that. He likened that he had been in Africa and seen cheetahs uh, chasing gazelle. And he likened the movement of this creature to a cheetah running down a gazelle. It was that fast. Now, when you're talking about it, you know, he says this thing was seven and a half, eight feet tall, you know, built like a, a linebacker, you know, like a football player, just huge, right? Says to, to imagine a creature of that size moving with that swiftness is, is just, you know, kind of awe-inspiring. And then when you take into account the witness that you're, you're talking about, then, you know, I mean, this is not a guy who's easily shaken up. He's not a guy who's going to be like, Oh, you know, I saw a bear and I freaked out and thought it was a Sasquatch. Um, you know, this is a credible, credible witnesses, credible witness, right? Um, so I, I really, really like that story because um, it, 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 it puts all of the, the, the pieces together. You know, you have this creature, you know, 
it's it's hunting you know and and this is something that we see described a lot in, in sasquatch encounters and it's uh you know it's doing um you know, it's, it's doing what you would expect a natural creature to do. So, you know, again, you can argue for the flesh and blood thing, but the really important part about that, like I said, is, is, is the witness. Cause I mean, you know, you can poo poo a lot of people, but I don't think you want to argue with this guy. <laughs> you know, if he says he saw a Sasquatch, he saw a Sasquatch. Another one of my favorite stories from the book, um, was a, uh, it's actually, a, I think it was a John Warm story um, from a strange creature seldom seen. Um, so it would take place in uh, uh, Manitoba. Um, young girl, uh, if I remember correctly, her name was Carrie. Um, and she, uh, and this is a, kind of one of the stranger stories. So kind of to balance things out. Not super strange, but a little, little stranger. So a young indigenous girl um, gone out to, you know, and, and of course, you, as you know, a lot of indigenous people still have live in very primitive conditions here. Um, and this was some time ago. I think it was 60s or 70s. Uh, one of her tasks was to go down to the local waterway and carry water back to the house. And she was carrying water back from the house. And uh, it was berry season. Um, you see berries pop up in Sasquatch stories a lot. So uh, she decided that she was going to stop and pick some berries. Um, and she made two mistakes. Uh, one is... She, she ventured off the beaten path um, and, and, you know, and she got turned around um, and couldn't find where she had been. Um, the second thing that she did is when the second mistake that she made was that when she did this, she panicked and started to run. Now, uh, I used to be a search and rescue volunteer, so it's like one of the things that we told kids and, and people anytime we got a chance was, if you find that you don't know where you are, stay put, if you, po if you possibly can. She did not. She ran, and she ran, and she ran, and she ran. And she was, you know, justifiably fight frightened because she was up in bear country. Um, and the darkness, you know, was coming on. Um, and she was convinced that, you know, her days were numbered. Um, she eventually collapsed on a bed of moss and, and caught, you know, a little sleep, but um, she got up and started moving again. Um, and fortunately, she had the presence to, uh, to stop and eat berries and so forth. So she managed to stay reasonably hydrated and so forth, but she was weakening and she knew it. And she kept going, though. She kept moving. And I think it was her second night. Uh, she was laying down, and she heard something big moving in the brush. And she was like, oh, boy, this is it. You know, I'm, I'm done for. And this is a child of, uh, I want to say, 11 or so, if I remember correctly. I'm done for, right? So, you know. Being a, a polite uh, indigenous person, she told this uh, told this bear, you know, addressed it as grandfather and said, "Please, you know, if you're going to eat me, eat me head first, so we can get this over with." <laughs> yeah, but uh, nothing came out of the darkness to eat her. But whatever this was, kept getting closer and closer to her. 
until eventually she could reach out a hand and touch it. And she describes the, the fur as being like the pelt of a beaver, which I thought was interesting. But she still, it was so, you know, it's really, really dark in, in the woods, you know, when you don't have, you know, when you have a lot of, of over, uh, overgrowth, um, it's really dark underneath. So she couldn't really see what it was that she was touching until the sun started to come up and she realized that she was standing next to a Sasquatch, right? Oh, she's like, okay. Um, so she started to run away and the creature bumped her. And, you know, she's, oh boy, this is it. It's going to eat me now, right? Um, so she kept moving and she'd start to go one direction and the creature would come up and bump her off in another direction. And this went on for, you know, the whole day. The, the, the creature was, was just following along quietly behind her. And whenever she'd go, go off in a, one direction, it would bump her back in another direction. So it was keeping her going on a particular uh, path until eventually, you know, as it's starting to, you know, the day starting to wind down again, she comes out on a road and recognizes where she is. So she, you know, turns, uh, you know, she runs out into the road, of course, and, and she sees a, a, a truck coming and recognizes one of her neighbors uh, is coming down the road. Um, she turns to, to see this creature and it's gone. It's disappeared back into the woods. Well, she tells the, the, uh, the, the old, older gentleman who, who picks her up you know, because of course the community has been frantic. They've been looking for her for days, right? Um, <clears throat> tells the older gentleman that, that uh, you know, a, a two-legged bear that walked upright, you know, um, guided her out of the forest. And he just laughed and told her that, uh, you know, that, that she was fortunate that, uh, that she had run into to this creature and that, that it, had, it had protected her and that it was a sacred thing. Um, you know, because they, they very much view you know, Sasquatch and some of these other strange things in the forest as, as mysteries that, you know, you don't really talk about, but everybody kind of acknowledges that, that, that they're there. Um, you know, the story has a happy ending. The, the older gentleman takes her back to her home. She's reunited with her parents. You know, um, everything is, is, is better. They don't really buy her story about the Sasquatch or don't seem to until later her father tells her that when he was a young man, he was lost in the forest and a Sasquatch kept bringing him fish for him to survive until he could get out. <laughs> so, so it must, it must've run in the family. But anyway, those, those are, are a couple of favorite stories that, that I had from the book. And, and like I said, the book is loaded with, with encounters um, from, Alberta, at Manitoba, Ontario. Quebec is a little light on sightings, but then over into the Atlantic Canada, um, over into Atlantic Canada, there's there's plenty of, of Sasquatch for, for people to find out about. And really, the stories in the book are only uh, a selection of some of the things that I found because I didn't want to keep repeating myself.
That's strange. I've heard of uh, different stories out of Quebec. I thought there would be more from Quebec as well. So, But that's interesting. Great stories that you have in your book and recommend that people check that out if they get a chance to, especially if they're local Ontarians or even throughout Canada. So uh, you mentioned uh, before about a story from St. Catharines. Are there any more that you can recall that are more localized to Southern Ontario at all? Not so much because, you know, obviously this is a very populated area. And um, the one thing that we, that we know about, uh, you know, the, the creature that some people call Bigfoot is that uh, it tends to be, while on the one hand, it's very curious about humans uh, or seems to be, um, it's also very elusive. Um, and so that was, that one stuck out in my mind because it was such an urban area. Yeah. Um, most of the other, uh, well, I would say all of the other stories really are, uh, are in, uh, in more rural parts of Ontario and the other provinces. Yeah. Such as Algonquin park and stuff. Right. So they're more in the yes. northern areas. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. that's one thing I've always been curious, like, like you just said, they are more known to be in wilderness areas or northern parts of the uh, provinces and stuff. I wonder why they don't come into cities or city centers or like more populated areas. It's just because they're like other animals and they're scared of humans or what could that be? Well, you know, okay. So let's, let's go back to the, you know, physical animal versus spiritual creature dichotomy. Okay. On the one hand, uh, a physical animal, if, if a physical flesh and blood unknown primate slash hominid uh, exists in the forest out there, um, it has managed to survive because it is extremely elusive. Um, it must be of above average intelligence. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there are people that claim that, that uh, Sasquatch, for instance, is very careful about tracks and trying not to make tracks, you know, unless it can't be avoided. Um, so, you know, walking into a uh, metropolitan area is going to increase the chance that these creatures are going to be seen. Um, and I think that, that uh, you know, most wild animals recognize that humans are dangerous. Um, you know, and, you know, obviously we've proven that's true on many, many, many occasions. So, um, you know, ask the wolves about that. <laughs> Humans are dangerous. Um, so, you know, from a wild animal standpoint, yes, I think it, it may be that, uh, you know, if, if the flesh and blood side of this, this dichotomy, um, there is, uh, you know, ample reason to avoid people. Um, there may be curiosity about people, but there's also ample reason to avoid people. And so avoiding large concentrations of people is probably a good idea. Um, if you go to the more spiritual side of things, you know, native people are describing a creature that walks between the worlds. Um, in my mind, that instantly uh, evokes images of uh, the, the fairy folk from Celtic lore. Um, and if you know anything about the fairy folk of Celtic lore, you know that one of the things that uh, you know they're known for is is being allergic to cold iron. Um, and there's an awful lot of iron and steel in uh, you know major metropolitan areas. So 
could be that they're, you know, that they're not wanting to come into, you know, into uh, major metropolitan areas because of that. Um, you know, I mean, there's that possibility. Uh, you know, it may just be that the energies um, in these areas are so frenetic that they don't, uh, to them, you know, I would think that a creature that lived a fairly solitary existence in the woods would be pretty sensitive. Um, so it may be that they just simply find the energy of too many people in uh, a small area to be too frenetic for their taste. Um, that's just a couple of theories. I, you know, obviously I'm speculating wildly because nobody really knows. <laughs> no. We haven't had a chance to ask a Sasquatch yet. If I can get one for an interview, I will definitely ask them that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's like, I think they have that energy focused in on the forest area as well like that nature energy i think they're that elemental energy is what they use as well so i think that's probably why they stay in their territory they don't come into ours too often so like you said they're probably curious sometimes wondering what we're doing but they don't come and see us that often so yeah they yeah as you say they do seem to be you know creatures of the forest and a lot of, of native traditions actually you know view them as guardians of the forest and actually fear there are actually some folks that believe that the reason that sasquatch is being seen more often these days is kind of a warning to us about what we're doing to the forest so um you know there's that too wasn't that some of the encounters that people have is when they're doing things like mining operations or different things to the environment or they're harming the environment in some way, they tend to have the encounters? Uh, I haven't found that to be necessarily true, um, but it is certainly the case that, uh, well, for instance, one of the, one of the, the Sasquatch sightings in, um, I'm thinking it was Alberta, um, I don't remember right off the top of my head was all a bighorn dam. Um, so I think that's Alberta. Yeah. Uh, was all around the construction of a large dam. Um, and, and there were uh, numerous sightings in the area during the construction of that dam. Um, so that may be true. Um, a lot of the sightings that, that, uh, that you see though um, are people who are out in the wilderness, they're out in their territory, basically. Um, hikers, hunters, uh, you know, like I said, forestry workers, soldiers, um, those kinds of folks that that get out into the woods on a regular basis uh, are people that seem to be most likely to encounter these guys. That's about all the questions I have for you today on your topics that you discussed in your book. But do you have anything else that you'd like to talk about quickly that's in your book or your other book? Uh, well, you know, like I said, uh, I moved to, uh, to Canada in 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> uh, my spouse got a job at the University of Waterloo, and uh, we did a uh, cross-border international move in one month. Um, so it was pretty stressful but when i got here uh you know i i very much i want like i said i wanted to explore you know some of the the strangeness stories um, that were up here and and that research got me into um uh, writing canadian monsters and mysteries which um 
like I said, is more of a compendium book. It has a lot of, of interesting stuff. You know, depending on what your area of the paranormal is, if you like ghosts, um, I didn't do too much in the way of hauntings, but there's phantom ships for sure. If you're a UFO person, uh, there's pretty extensive sections on UFOs um, and uh, lake monsters, you know, because we got lake, mon have we got lake monsters? We got lake monsters everywhere. Um, in just about every province, it seems. Um, so, yeah, I think that the thing I, I want to put across is that, uh, you know, for, for people that are listening who you know, maybe haven't considered it is Canada is full of all kinds of wonderful lore, you know, and I've just scratched the surface of it. I'm already fascinated. Um, you know, so, you know, I encourage people uh, who are interested in these things, not to sell, you know, because it seems like all the people that are writing books are in the United States, right? Um, I encourage people, not all the people, there are obviously some Canadian authors like Tom Steenberg and so forth that are writing about Sasquatch and such up here. Um, Chris Rutkowski, I think is his name, uh, writes about UFOs. But it seems like so much of the, the media is coming from the U.S. You know, look at your local folklore, you know, uh, there's all kinds of, of things that could be of interest to you if you have an interest in high strangeness. Um, look at your, your old newspapers and those kinds of things. I really encourage people to get out there and explore because, you know, Canada is a huge country and there's all kinds of interesting stuff to, uh, to investigate um, if you're so inclined. So uh, that's, that's kind of my pitch. <laughs> Well, it's a great idea for people to do, like you say, a lot of it does come from the U.S. side of things, and I think those mm -hmm. stories get told over and over, so they're redundant sometimes, over. and that's why we're here at Haunting Live. We're trying to promote Canadian content, but also world content as well, So, but our focus is mostly on Canadian, so it's been great to have you on, uh, Travis, to talk about some of the things that you do and have experienced, so we thank you so much for bringing some of the Canadian content out. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much. Uh, where can people find your books quickly? So the uh, the books are from Beyond the Fray Publishing, and uh, they are available on Amazon. Um, you can get them as uh, you know Kindle eBooks, of course. Get them in paperback. Um, if you're a Kindle Unlimited subscriber, hey, they're free. <laughs> so uh, enjoy. No, thank you again so much for coming on Haunting Life. We appreciate it, and uh, hope to have you back again for some more. Canadian content on Sasquatch and other things. Uh, I do hope so. Um, I'm uh, still in the exploratory phases for my next book, um, but um, doing some doing some research now. Well, thank you again, and uh, welcome back anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you. Miss one of our episodes? Replay your episodes on Rhode Island Broadcasting, Wednesdays at 10 p.m. EST. Show your support for Haunting Live by supporting our broadcast partner, Rhode Island Broadcasting. Find them on YouTube. The paranormal can happen at any time, so that's why our Etsy store is always open. Get your paranormal items from cleansing, to protection, to attraction. All available now on our Etsy store. Search Haunting Live.